Hi, how are you? <laughs> you already started the room. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Thank you. How <laughs> Thank are you doing now? I'm good. Good. Thank you. Uh, could you do me a favor and sure. make me a moderator so I can help you um, with a lot of different tasks? Uh, how can I do it? So you click on my profile picture mm -hmm. and then on the bottom should okay. show beautiful pro. Ah, perfect. Thank should you so much. Now. How's your weekend going? Everything uh, good? Not too bad. I have a conference next week in Scotland, so I was preparing for it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's that's nice in Scotland. Yeah, after a long time, this is going to be uh, like in-person conference, so pretty excited about it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Where in Scotland? In Glasgow. It's okay. the IBNS conference. I'm happy for you. I hope you'll have how a was, lot of fun. <laughs> thank you. How was your weekend? Good, good. We traveled a little bit. Friend of ours, they had the, their daughter's birthday party. So we we went to Long Island. It's not so far, nice. but... <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are friends for what the... Trying to bring... Uh, him actually to clubhouse but he works at brookhaven at the particle collider mm -hmm. but his work is mostly dod so he always feels like he cannot tell what he's actually doing so that wouldn't be too interesting right so. <laughs> yeah you you already have like a lot of members here in clubhouse i mean i was listening to some of the talks and i mean you do cover like a broad uh, like aspects of like research fields so that's amazing. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have, you know, we have a lot of different interests here, members from all kinds of backgrounds. So, yeah, that's how it comes together to have such a variety of talks. So, hi, right. Jamie. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, then you have, some. somebody might have uh, said something. Oh, I just said hi. Hi. Really looking forward to your talk. I probably yeah, I'm very ask you, I'll probably ask you an astrocyte question toward the end. Astrocyte <laughs> question, okay. <laughs> sure. Thank you. Hello, Doctor. Thank you very much for your time. And I'm looking forward to your talk as well. Thank you. Thanks, Jimmy. Looking forward to the talk. I mean, I'm excited to be in this platform today. And I mean, I'm also in Scotland, so I'm glad that you know you're having conferences and stuff here. That's great. Oh, you are in Scotland? Yeah, I'm in Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'll be passing yeah. through Edinburgh. I'll be going to Newcastle, uh, for for like meetings and a presentation also. So my I I didn't find any like direct train from uh, Glasgow, so I'll I'll stop over in Edinburgh for maybe like half an hour. Ah, well, I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And this is one of the best thing uh, in this uh, platform that I'm seeing that like people from all around the world can actually participate and share their like knowledge and like advancements in research. So that's that's very exciting. It's definitely been one of my favorite things about this. People from all over the world have um, mm -hmm. been speaking here and I've been so, so lucky to be part of that. 
Um, so you know you're you're very much right, and Katarina has arranged an excellent group, and a lot of interdisciplinary specialisations have been um discussed here. It's been really really quite exciting, and um I'm just really really pleased you're here to offer your findings with us as well. This is just very very exciting. <laughs> yeah, I mean Katarina is doing amazing work here, and there are like talks, like regular talks, almost sometimes like. Uh, like five days or six days a week. So like organizing with all the speakers and then like diversifying the like topics of uh, presentation. It's a lot of work. So you all are doing amazing work there. She really has done an amazing job and just the breadth and depth of the speakers that come come by um, is just been, a, you know, a, a nightly experience for many of us. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with that yeah thank you so much <laughs> please don't make it about me it's so wonderful that so many people actually agree to come it always surprises me uh because there's well we we try to so the thing why i set up um spotify and youtube account is actually i don't advertise it i should but um, it's more that the altmetric score of the papers go higher. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, other than that, it's purely altruistic, I think, for speakers to come here and share their time with us. So, you know, thing that that people do that because you know people don't get paid or you know there's no direct outcome so yeah these are, these are all like voluntary participation mm -hmm. but like the driving force is the passion for science right yeah exactly yeah. so when COVID hit it annoyed me very much how, how bad the um, image of people were on social media mm -hmm. also on this platform and on other platforms so yeah, I tend to try to do something instead of just sitting there. And then people are actually very interested when they feel like people actually are genuinely interested in their, what they're doing. They also become interested. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, <clears throat> uh, here, like, we are talking front of like a broad audience which like brings more uh like chances of like collaboration like more people will know about your work like whoever is presenting and uh i mean that and then the talks are all recorded so like it can be like viewed later so i think this is all great i can personally speak to this as like an education for me um mm -hmm. i've came to the, the clubhouse and Katarina's club and science society not knowing half of this stuff just something a couple of months ago so I th this could be in you know, some kind of a um, science site academy <laughs> down the line <laughs> all the past talks it covers so many different topics so many different areas um but after a while like you said there's, there's so many there's been so many willing speakers that just just for the chance to talk about what's been passionate to them and so many people willing to listen um i've actually managed to find a lot of crossover you know like um 
you know, finding about neuroplasticity and finding things about physics and things about chemistry that I never ever had a clue. But they keep coming up. There's common threads, which is quite exciting to hear um, a speaker talking about one thing and another speaker um, talking about something that's got a side-on aspect to it. It's been even happened, isn't it, Katerina and Dasarina, when um, we've been able to say to a a speaker, oh, do you know of so-and-so's work? Because we just had them as a speaker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and perhaps they could collaborate. It's been quite exciting. Uh, it really has. Yeah, that, 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 I mean, I totally agree. And that's what I, I also strongly believe. Yeah. Well, it really is. There's just so many advances happening. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, um, the multidisciplinary nature is really notable in just how... Um, you know, it, 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 it seems I've always had an interest, but it really seems like we're in a period where the advances have just accelerated so much. It's, uh, it's just incredible. Oh, yeah. With like technological advancements and like a lot of different things, it's like every week. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like my own field in like transcription and mm-hmm. uh, gene expression, genetics. Like there are like, like new techniques coming up like every now and then, and it's amazing to like it's it's so hard also to keep up with all the advancements. So uh, how how they can be used in biology or like other fields, and then uh, what's the actually ap- actual application? And uh, for those, you need to like listen to like people who are actually doing it, and sometimes. Well, most of the times, papers, like publication, takes time to happen. So basically, like, what is there in the paper is the work which was done, like, for the maybe, like, past five years. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I'll i present in my work today, uh, in my presentation, I'll, I'll mostly talk about published things, but I can also talk about some of the new advancements also, like technological advancements. Uh, and I did notice in, okay. like, several other talks uh, here in this platform that, like, like real cool techniques and the, the applications. It's, it's, it's so fascinating. Uh, welcome, doctor. Uh, how, how, to, uh, how, to, how should I pronounce the, uh, the, the name? Uh, you can call me Jyoti. My, my pronunciation is Neha Jyoti, but people call Neha me Jyoti. Jyoti. People call Jyoti. me Jyoti. Jyoti, yeah. Jyoti, Jyoti. is fine. Uh, we really appreciate your uh, uh, thank you come to our platform and the, the very positive feedbacks and the so it's actually um, also I said that uh, the uh, it's a very uh, multi disciplinary and uh, uh, under the uh, great uh, you know initiative from uh, Katarina I just, I still don't know how she can do it you know I mean that's a lot of work inviting so many um, uh, excellent researchers from across all the field. So, so actually, I'm curious. The maybe in one of the future sessions, we can you know invite uh, some of them back and uh, from different fields and uh, mm-hmm. uh, have them, for example, Jody and uh, um, from from his perspective, that uh, how does um, uh, general public like platform like uh, Clubhouse can help? Uh, in um, I, I do see uh, a strong interest from some uh, of the researchers that are they. Uh, without the uh, you know clubhouse, they're already very actively uh, connecting, uh, seeking you know the public audience, right? So, uh, 
to this uh, uh, general public audience, uh, audience is one. And there's, there are also colleagues, uh, uh, professional researchers on Clubhouse as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, I myself have been a research engineer, not in the academia, but in the research uh, uh, industry, but uh, educated in, uh, you know, in, in, in similar pro um, programs, research programs. So. Um, the, the, so that's, I think this uh, Clubhouse uh, being one platform, there's others. This is really itself is an experiment, I think. That's uh, probably Karina, I haven't uh, say, speak, uh, discussed this with uh, Karina and Serena and uh, Jamie uh, mm -hmm. and other, others yet. But I think this is itself, I think it's uh, worthy uh, 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 Research itself, I, th I think, yeah, you know, how, how, because as researchers, you know, we often, you know, specialization and generalize, uh, being general and uh, being specialized, right? So right. It's, 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 it's a trade off, but uh, often specialized, that's what is required. Then, what is the most productive way of reaching out, right? Connecting to the application and uh, uh, even, you know, uh, colleagues in the same subfield. And not um, not being constrained physically by, by physical space, right? That's what I think the COVID, uh, you know, pushed uh, for new in innovation like Clubhouse, which I think it will stay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's this is essentially the most uh, stripped down version of uh, it. Just you know, all it takes is uh, uh, voice communication, right? So of our thoughts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah. Um, okay, shall we start? I think uh, we can slowly uh, start our session. So yeah, thank you so much everyone for coming and uh, welcome to the Science Society. We have our very, um, we are honored to have our guest speaker here today, um, Dr. Jyoti Shatachi. I hope I'm saying it right. Yeah, that's, that's correct. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. And uh, uh, let me give you a little bit of information about our guest speaker. Uh, he did his Bachelor in Science and Microbiology at the Surendranath um, College, Kolkata, and his master's degree also in molecular biology and genetics um, at the Presidency College, Kolkata. Um, and his PhD in neuroscience from the, oh, that's French, <laughs> Laboratoire de Imagerie at a neuro, neuroscience cognitive, a cognitive neuroscience at uh, the University of Strasbourg um, in France. Uh, I've been in Strasbourg a lot of times because my mother used to work for the European Parliament. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, Growing up, I was. It's a beautiful city. Indeed, it is a beautiful place here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but let's. And um, he's currently uh, working at assistant research scientist in the laboratory of Professor Ted Abel at the Department of Neuroscience and Pharmacology at the Iowa Neuroscience Institute, the University of Iowa, and. Um, yeah, we are very honored to have you here. Uh, it's amazing sci uh, research uh, in memory. And uh, congratulations, first of all, to your 
wonderful paper and this um, really interesting work and very important work. So uh, if it's okay, uh, Jamie would ask you a couple of general questions first and sure, then sure. the stage is yours. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much, Katerina. Okay, so first of all, Doctor, thank you very, very much for joining us. This is actually quite exciting. Um, one of the things we actually do is we ask um, a couple of questions about what got you uh, started. So I'll begin with saying, what was it that first got you into science itself that started you on this uh, this path of academia, as it were? Um, was it something in childhood or did you start later on? Um, anything you can tell us, we, we love everything here. I love this question. <laughs> uh... I mean, I was I was always very like passionate for towards like innovation. Uh, of course, during my, when I was a kid, I had no idea about like what like researchers or scientists do. But I can recall some 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 uh, like some things I used to do when I was a kid is like uh, I used to extract. It it's it, it may sound crazy, but I used to like make extracts from like plants, different plants and flowers in India and. I used to be like obsessed with the different colors uh, of extracts I, I obtain, and I used to believe that these are all medicines. Uh, so I mean, yeah, I I went to do like develop medicines from like plants, and uh, but then when I when I started my uh, like after masters, I joined a lab. That was basically the first experiments or things that I did that uh, I collaborated with some chemists and asked them to extract the molecules obtained from some of the plants uh, that we often see in, in India. And that actually laid the foundation for my PhD work because one of the drug that I found was the first activator of a histone acetyltransferase. And then, I mean, rest is like history to me because I mean, uh, there was this drug showed to be like enhanced enhancing memory and then showed potential for like memory rescue in Alzheimer's. So the dream that I like I had in my childhood, I could pursue it when I was doing my PhD. And uh, yeah, I think that that that's what like drove me. Uh, and uh, and I was always interested in science. Biology was my favorite subject. And like think about like innovations coming up with new things yeah that that's it that's absolutely um fantastic and wonderful to hear um did you find that when you studied even in childhood when you were pulling the plants apart to see how they ticked did you find that the more you discovered the more there was yet to discover and the more fascinated that you got <laughs> i had no idea what i used to do in childhood <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea, but yeah, I mean, coming up with like new ideas for like doing something, most of the things like ended up being frustrating because like I will extract something today and tomorrow when I wake up, the color like turns, turns to more pale colors. I used to be sad. Yeah, but I mean, I used to try it the next day. Again, it may sound like crazy. <laughs> oh, no, no at all. It, it sounds amazing Like your curiosity was driving you. And what then, what then led you there to, well, you would start to actually talk about that and um, brought you into discussing um, into memory and everything and where you got to here, just um, how do you get to this point where we're at right now with the paper? 
I'm sorry, could you please repeat the question? Beg your pardon. Um, what was it then that got you focused on this specific aspect of uh, long-term memory and led to the paper that you're going to discuss today? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, again, that drug that I found, I, I started my career in cancer biology and I used, I was like screening different drugs for uh, like potential role in cancer treatment and the the drug that i just mentioned it was like showed to uh, it 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 was found to be activating a particular uh, enzyme that enhanced memory uh, in my hand it 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 enhanced memory so that's where i shifted my research to uh, like neuroscience because i could see that it would it should enhance memory but nobody have ever like tried it and i had like no experience with like behavior i went to france for 3 months uh, to try these experiments and I mean doing those behaviors and then learning like how animals could react to a certain environment and then how can like memories be formed and like understanding this memory mechanism especially like worldwide uh, dementia is uh, is a big threat and like with elderly populations uh, like there is a big uh, impact in the like society uh, with dementia and age associated memory decline and then if we come up with some uh, I mean again uh, NIH is also uh, like supporting a huge amount of research these days but uh, and, I mean I could see that it's very important and my uh, grandfather he had Parkinsonism and uh, he had this uh, dementia also so I have seen how uh, someone who like starts losing their memories, how painful it could be for the person and also for the families. So a combination of a lot of things actually uh, contributed towards my like interest in memory. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it uh, in my presentation, like how I came up with the with this uh, paper. Uh, it started from uh, during my PhD work when I was interested in CVP and then progressively I uh, like went down into the mechanism and uh, like develop the story for or uh, publish the paper which was which came up more recently thank you very much doctor that is that's wonderful that you shared that with us and we would like to thank you and uh, when you're ready i think we're all eager so the floor is yours thank you <laughs> thank you jamie and I'll, i'd like to thank katrina and uh, like all the members here for like having me here I'm very excited for this talk so uh, you all have access to the slides right uh, I mean, in this presentation, I'll I'll give some background on uh, from from the uh, I mean, I'll I'll not just talk about the paper which came out in Science Advances, but I'll also provide some background of the work. So throughout throughout my academic career, I have like mostly focused on understanding the molecular mechanisms of memory consolidation and uh, use those information to develop therapeutic strategies to treat memory impairment in Alzheimer's disease and related dementia uh, models. Slide number two, memory consolidation starts with encoding of the information, which is uh, construction of a single memory trace from all the sensory information collected. But to convert that like single memory trace to a stable long-term memory, it requires a post-experience process called consolidation. During this consolidation, the initially labile memory trace progressively or gradually gets stabilized to form 
long-term memory and this process requires transcription and translation. Once the memory is formed and once the memory is consolidated, it can be recorded later. So in, in our lab, we used a spatial object recognition task or SOR task to assess long-term memory in mice. Typically in this task, we exposed an, an animal uh, in an open field with three different objects, all the objects in specific spatial locations. And the animal will explore the objects to encode the information, especially the spatial information of those objects. Then it will be returned back to its home cage where consolidation will occur. And this consolidation requires precisely timed transcriptional events. And then to assess long-term memory, we return back this animal to the open field uh, 24 hours later. But here we move one of the objects to a novel spatial location. If the animal acquired the memory of the object, it will explore the moved object more compared to the two other objects in the familiar location. Next slide. This form of memory uh, is dependent on hippocampus. It's called spatial memory. And uh, in humans, hippocampus is found deep inside the temporal lobe where it controls not only spatial navigation memory, but also episodic memories. Hippocampus, uh, it enables construction of cognitive map in the environment around the subject. And the most important or relevance of hippocampus dependent memory in our research is that it is regulated by epigenetic mechanisms uh, through gene expression and uh, is mediated by histone acetylation. And importantly, in Alzheimer's disease and related dementia, hippocampus is one of those sites which shows early pathological signature of, uh, of the disease. And then it gradually spreads to other brain regions. Alzheimer's disease is also associated with impairment in spatial navigation memory as well as episodic memories. Next slide. So we know that transcription is essential for memory consolidation and decades of research have showed that after a learning experience, there is a huge induction of gene expression in the hippocampus. Here in a classical experiment performed by John Buzowski, Carol Burns, uh, they showed that in hippocampal subregion CA1, after a learning experience, shows induced expression of activity-induced gene ARC, ARC mRNA. And researchers have found that this induction in gene expression or these activity-dependent genes are essential for memory consolidation. But how, how these genes are regulated? Next slide, slide number five. So identify the mechanism by which this activity-induced gene expression uh, happens researchers identified a transcription factor, CREB. CREB binds to specific genomic regions known as CREB response elements or CRE elements. This CREB gets postulated, post-translationally modified, and activates gene expression. But soon it was realized that postulation of CREB is not sufficient to activate its downstream gene expression. CBP, also known as a CREB binding protein, CBP binds to CREB through CBP's Kix domain. And that binding of CBP to CREB triggers downstream gene expression. Now, CBP is also, uh, CBP here, I'm talking about its function as a transcriptional co-activator, but CBP also functions as a histone acetyl transferase enzyme. So in addition to being, to bind to CREB, it also acetylates nearby histones thereby opening up the chromatin and then uh, triggering gene expression. And this realization really launched a uh, like, lot of recent work in memory and epigenetics. Next slide, slide number six. 
So at the baseline level or unstimulated neurons, uh, the chromatin or uh, chromatin around the activity induced gene promoters are tightly uh, like closed and that that signals for repressed transcription. But following learning or neuronal stimulation, CBP binds to CRIB on the promoters of those genes, which have a lot of uh, several CRE elements, and then CBP also acetylates histones, thereby opening up the chromatin and then recruiting the basal transcriptional machinery to drive, drive gene expression. Next slide. So my own work as well as uh, others have showed that CBP interaction with CRIB through CBP's Kicks domain is essential for memory consolidation. Here on the left side of the slide, we can see that in a mouse model, which uh, harbors a mutant CBP Kicks domain, which impairs CBP's ability to bind to CRIB, uh, these mice shows long-term memory impairment. And then activation of CBP in wild-type mice using a pharmacological strategy uh, using a nanobiotechnology approach to uh, activate CBP leads to enhancement in histone acetylation as well as enhancement in long-term memory. Therefore, CBP CRIP acts as a molecular switch where modulating its function can lead to bidirectional changes in memory consolidation. Next slide. So, so far we established that CBP CRIP interaction is essential for long-term memory consolidation. But how? How CBP or what are the different, what are the downstream targets of this CREP CBP uh, pathway? So I first performed a total RNA sequencing from wild type mice and animals were either trained in fear conditioning or Morris water maze, both the task uh, requires hippocampus. And on the left side, we see the genes that are induced after learning in wild type mice. And we see several immediately genes or activity dependent genes are induced in the dorsal hippocampus one hour after the training session. But in the CBP kicks domain mutant animals, there is a huge down regulation of uh, several immediately genes. Especially we find these NR4A1 and NR4A2 proteins to be consistently down regulating, down regulated in different mouse models of mutant CBP. Next slide. So NR4A family of transcription factors or subfamily of transcription factors are the direct targets of grape CBP pathway. They belong to the largest superfamily of transcription factors in metazoans known as nuclear hormone receptors. And all the three members of NR4A subfamily, NR4A1, NR4A2, and NR4A3 are induced after learning in the dorsal hippocampus. On the right side, we can see that following a spatial object recognition task, there is a significant induction of NR4A1 as well as NR4A2 gene expression within one hour after the training session. And then the expression level goes down to baseline uh, from two or three hours after the training. Next slide. So how NR, what, what, what is NR4A? What are the different uh, like, uh, like domains of NR4A and how, how it functions as a transcription factor? NR4A family of transcription factors bind to the DNA through uh, on, on specific genomic regions known as NBRE regions or the nerve response elements. They bind as a homodimer but they can also bind to DNA as heterodimers. Therefore, like for example, NR4A1 can bind to NR4A2 and regulate expression of uh, their downstream genes. Uh, 
But these NR4A family members can also interact with other nuclear hormone receptor family members and can also regulate their gene expression. For example, here we, we can see that NR4A family, NR4A family members can interact with RXR, get recruited on the DR5 elements, and then regulate their gene expression. Now, NR4A are induced after learning. The, is it essential for memory constellation? Marcel Wood's lab showed that siRNA-mediated knockdown of NR4A1 or NR4A2 impairs long-term memory consolidation in wild-type mice. So indeed, NR4A members are essential for memory consolidation. Is it a target for memory enhancement? Next slide. So I used a chemical or a pharmacological approach to target this transactivation function of NR4A proteins. Here I collaborated with a chemist, uh, Stefan Seif, and he developed several molecules or synthetic elements, synthetic agents, which can bind to NR4A transcription activation domain and enhance its, its transcription function. So I'm showing an example for NR4A2 agonist. We have also uh, characterized NR4A1 agonist and found similar results. So this drug, CDM12, it binds to the NR4A transactivation domain and enhances its function. I tested this drug in, uh, in wild-type mice following a weak learning protocol where control mice will not consolidate any memory. They will not show memory consolidation. But interestingly, I find that treatment with this drug enhances long-term memory in wild-type mice. Now, we know that memory impairment is associated with or age-associated memory decline is, uh, is, a, is a serious threat. And uh, there are not many therapeutic options available. So some, research have sh some researchers have showed that NR4A activation is impaired in aging. And so I hypothesized what happens if we activate NR4A in aged animals? Can we rescue memory? And I administered this drug for five consecutive days in aged animals, 20 months old uh, aged animals, and trained them in this spatial object recognition task and tested their long-term memory. The vehicle administered animals showed long-term memory impairment. But interestingly, activation of NR4A2 rescued long-term memory deficits in this uh, aged model, and it reversed memory deficits. So clearly, this NR4A uh, proteins are therapeutic targets, could be therapeutic targets for memory rescue in age-associated memory decline. Next slide. So NR4A family members are important for memory consolidation, and they are potential target for memory enhancement and age-associated memory decline. But how NR4A regulates memory? Now, they are transcription factors, and we believe that NR4A regulates memory through their downstream targets. So as I mentioned before, NR4A proteins interact with each other, uh, form heterodimers, and that formation of heterodimer, uh, that heterodimer complex recruits the basal transcription machinery through NR4A transactivation domain to drive gene expression. To, to demonstrate the molecular mechanism by which NR4A regulates memory, we used a NR4A dominant negative mouse model, which where we deleted the transactivation domain of NR4A. So basically here what will happen is the dominant negative NR4A will get recruited to the DNA, will interact 
or form heterodimers with other NR4A members. But as it lacks the transactivation domain, it will fail to recruit the basal transcription machinery and it will fail to drive gene expression. So gene expression from those locus will be blocked. Next slide, slide number 13. So we first assessed long-term memory in this model and found that control mice shows significant memory consolidation. Uh, they show significant discrimination towards the moved object while the NR4A dominant negative mice shows impaired long-term memory consolidation. But we don't see any memory impairment in short-term memory where both control and NR4A dominant negative mice shows intact short-term memory. Now it's important to note here that long-term memory requires transcription and translation where short-term memory is independent of transcriptional events. So to identify the downstream targets of NR4A proteins, we next performed a total RNA sequencing after learning. We waited two hours after training so that uh, it, it gives sufficient time for NR4A proteins to express and get recruited uh, on its target gene promoters. We found that there are like 40 genes which were down-regulated after learning in NR4A dominant negative mice and only 14 genes were upregulated. A pathway analysis revealed that several pathways related to the endoplasmic reticulum protein folding machineries are down-regulated in this mouse model after learning. Especially we, we see this misfolded protein binding, chaperone binding and uh, protein processing in ER pathways. Next slide. I also performed a protein-protein interaction analysis and found that a multi-protein ER chaperone complex consisting of HSPA5, PDIA6, and several other members to be significantly down-regulated in this model. This multiprotein ER chaperone complex is known to bind newly synthesized polypeptide and facilitate their folding. But before moving into that aspect of uh, like protein folding machinery, we made sure that or we confirmed whether this regulation of genes encoding ER chaperones are directly regulated by NR4A uh, factors. We used publicly available database on NR4A1 ChIP-seq and found that indeed HSPA5 and PDIS6 promoters shows enriched enrichment of NR4A1 on their gene promoters. I also validated the expression of these genes of or uh, NR4A's target genes at the mRNA level as well as at the protein level from uh, synaptosomes. And I always found that this regulation is only seen after learning where home cage animals, animals which were not trained in, uh, in, in any behavior, they don't show this regulation. They show equal expression, equal levels of expression of these uh, HSPA5 and PDIA6 genes, suggesting that there might be an activity induced uh, expression of these ER chaperone genes, which is regulated by NR4A. Next slide. So to understand or to, uh, to confirm whether this expression of ER chaperone genes are also induced by activity, we performed a total RNA sequencing from control or wild type mice. Wild type mice will, were either trained in SOR or just handled only at their home cage. And then the data was compared with the NR4A dominant negative uh, bulk RNA sequencing after learning. And to simplify this graph on our, on our left side, the genes that are labeled here are the ones which shows induced expression after learning in wild type mice, but are down-regulated in NR4A dominant negative mice after learning. 
and several members of this ER chaperone multiprotein complex were seen to be in this particular uh, cluster. I also verified the expression of this HSPA5 and uh, other ER chaperone genes after learning in wild type mice. And indeed, their expression level goes up after learning within one hour after training, and then progressively it goes down at four hours time point after training, suggesting they are, that they are activity-induced genes. And all these experiments were performed from uh, dorsal hippocampus, and we know that dorsal hippocampus is a complex structure. It consists of multiple different subregions, CA1, CA3, dentigerous, and several others, and also is composed of various different types of cells, like excitatory neurons, interneurons, oligodendrocytes, astrocytes, and so on. So with the recent advancements in single-cell RNA sequencing, uh, we could actually investigate the expression profile of these genes within individual population of cells from a given uh, hippocampal subregion. Here I'm showing the single-cell RNA sequencing results from CA1, where we could clearly see that CA1 shows induced expression of HSPF5 and PDIS6. I'm also working on the other cell types currently. And to compare this uh, single cell RNA sequencing results. I'm also, I have also generated some data on uh, single cell ataxic as well as spatial transcriptomics to really understand the molecular signature or transcriptomic signature of these genes after learning. Next slide. So we identified a multiprotein ER chaperone complex which binds to newly synthesized polypeptides after learning and this complex is regulated by NR4A proteins. Now, we know that learning induces gene expression. A huge amount of uh, genes are in, uh, transcribed and translated. But we have often ignored the fact that all the proteins that are synthesized after learning, they need to be correctly folded, properly folded, and then trafficked to be functionally active. And uh, we believe that, we, we hypothesize that this ER chaperone complex performs this function of folding newly synthesized polypeptides after learning and then facilitates their folding, their, their trafficking, I'm sorry. So to prove this concept or this hypothesis, we need a target of this ER chaperone complex. And by literature survey, we found that gluen2a, which is an NMDA receptor subunit, interacts with HSPF5. Now, these NMDA receptors are predominantly synaptic, uh, like essential for synaptic plasticity and memory consolidation. Especially NMDA receptor gluen2a expression induces after learning in the hippocampus. And that pharmacological enhancement of gluen2a improves memory. So it fits all the criteria to like test its function or test its folding ability uh, after, uh, after learning. So next slide. We first used a cultured neuron model where we uh, induced neuronal activity or neuronal depolarization using KCL and stimulated the neurons. And we found that activity induces surface, uh, surf surface localization of gluen2a, whereas NR4A dominant negative expressing neurons fails to show this activity induced surface deposition of gluen2a. We also co-localized gluen2a with PhD95 and found that neuronal stimulation induces 
surface not only surface localization of gluon 2a but also uh, phd uh, phd 95 or postsynaptic density compartment localization of gluon 2a which was impaired in nr for a dominant negative expressing neurons but most interestingly when we overexpress HSPA5 in NR4 a dominant negative expressing neurons, we could see increased postsynaptic density co-localization of gluen2a, which suggests that HSPA5 is downstream to NR4a, where it plays active role in folding gluen2a and trafficking it onto, onto the postsynaptic density compartments. Next slide. Now to prove this in animal model, I overexpressed HSPA5 in the dorsal hippocampus of nr 4 dominant negative mice. The EGFP-infused animals showed not uh, impaired long-term memory, but the HSPA5 expressing uh, or mice that were infused with HSPA5 in the dorsal hippocampus shows enhanced long-term memory, which also suggests that or confirms our findings from the cultured neural model that indeed HSPA5 is downstream to nr 4 a and plays active role in memory consolidation. Now, to understand the protein folding aspect of uh, memory consolidation, we used a pharmacological approach. We used or administered a drug known as phenylbutrate. Phenylbutrate is a chemical chaperone, a molecular chaperone. It binds to unfolded proteins and facilitates their folding. But PBA is also an HDAC inhibitor where it enhances histone acetylation. So we used another control or another control drug, sodium butrate, which is structurally very similar to PBA. It is also an HDAC inhibitor, but it lacks chemical chaperone function. And interestingly, we found that, of course, vehicle uh, infused or administered an NR4ADN mice shows long-term memory impairment, but mice that were administered with phenylbutrate, which is a chemical chaperone, showed long-term memory consolidation or they showed a reversal of memory deficits whereas sodium butrate which lacks chemical chaperone function failed to enhance or rescue long-term memory deficits in this nr dominant negative mice we also found that pba cannot enhance memory uh, or far further in wild type mice so taken together these results suggest that er chaperone function is essential for nr4 mediated long-term memory consolidation next slide now we established a molecular mechanism by which uh, protein folding machineries are essential for long-term memory consolidation and we used a mouse model that shows long-term memory impairment and memory impairment or memory loss is associated with aging and dementia which is a syndrome in which there is a deterioration of memory thinking and behavior and also the ability to perform everyday activities like worldwide 50 million people suffers from dementia and that number increases by at least 10 million per year where alzheimer's disease itself contributes towards 60 to 80 percent of cases next slide the two major hallmarks of alzheimer's disease are neurofibrillary tangles and amyloid beta plugs for this work, I'll focus on the neurofibrillary tangles because I use two different mouse models of uh, this uh, tau. So neurofibrillary tangles are formed from hyperphosphorylation of tau proteins. Tau in wild type mice, they are microtubule stabilizing proteins. They bind to microtubule and stabilizes its structure. But upon hyperphosphorylation, it disintegrates from micro microtubules and starts forming like clump-like structure, which ultimately 
leads to these neurofibrillary tangles which are potential biomarkers or potential uh, pathological signature of Alzheimer's disease and related dementia. Next slide. So I first used a mouse model of uh, mutant tau. This mutant tau uh, model harbors P301S mutation which is often seen in patients from frontotemporal dementia. And we found that this mice shows down regulation of CBP. CBP interacts with CREB and regulates NR4A gene expression. And that CBP itself is down regulated in this model. And there is also a down regulation or reduced expression of histone H2B acetylation, histone acetylation drive gene expression. So I used a drug, the same drug, CSPTTK21, which is an activator of CBP. Previously I found that it enhances CBP's ability to acetylate histones induces gene expression and enhances memory in wild-type mice. So here in this work, I administered this drug in this tau model and found that activation of CBP enhances histone H2B acetylation. Now this mouse model shows long-term memory impairment in spatial navigation task, uh, but activation of CBP reverses long-term memory deficits, which is interesting because here what we are doing is we are activating the remaining amount of CBP to make it more transcriptionally active and activates its uh, downstream pathways. And what are the downstream targets of this particular uh, protein? These are the NR4A factors, the activity-induced gene expression like ARC, NR4A, EGR1. And we performed a total RNA sequencing, a whole uh, transcriptomic analysis to identify all the genes that are altered after learning in the tau mice and the ones which are rescued by upon activation of CBP. And to uh, like I, I found NR4A1 as well as NR4A2 genes were induced after learning in wild type mice, but they were downregulated in the tau mice after learning. But activation of CBP reversed this downregulation. It rescued the expression of NR4A1 and NR4A2 which also suggests that this pathway is a potential therapeutic target for memory rescue in Alzheimer's disease and related dementia and that NR4A factors are also uh, like important for uh, or might have potential therapeutic ability to enhance memory. Next slide, slide number 23. So I next investigated the expression of NR4A genes in patient samples. I uh, use this Allen Institute's Aging Dementia and TBI study, uh, full transcriptomic profile from uh, hippocampus obtained from postmortem uh, patients uh, with Alzheimer's disease and related dementia, and found that NR4A1 and NR4A2 genes were progressively downregulated across increasing pathological stages as measured by SERAT score and BRAC stages, whereas NR4A3 didn't show any significant downregulation. Next slide. So to investigate the potential of NR4A or targeting NR4A in Alzheimer's, uh, we used another mouse model of mutant tau. Now this mouse, mice harbors P301L mutation, but it is regulatable. So it is under uh, the mutant transgene is under the TETO promoter so that we can control the expression uh, using a CAM kinase 2 driven TTA uh, transgene so that the transgene expresses only in excitatory neurons and as it has state promoter we can regulate the expression of the transgene using doxycycline. So on the western blot on our left side we can see that in the tau mice 
there is an increased expression of pathological tau or phospho tau uh, using this western blot approach whereas doxycycline treatment completely abolishes the expression of mutant tau proteins these animals shows long-term memory deficits but doxycycline treated animals shows long-term memory consolidation next we investigated the expression of nr4a genes in this mutant tau moise on the left side uh, we see that following learning there is a significant down regulation of nr4a1 and nr4a2 in the dorsal hippocampus of tau mice but nr4a3 didn't change and this is very similar to what we found from the patient sample data so next i overexpressed nr4a1 in the dorsal hippocampus of this mutant tau mice and found that control or vehicle uh, infused animals shows long-term memory impairment but overexpression of nr4a1 reversed long-term memory deficits and this is consistent with the cbp activation work that we did uh, with the other uh, mutant tau model now my previous work also identified these er chaperons as direct targets of the nr4a pathway and i also found down regulation of hspa5 and pdia6 after learning in the tau mice so next i investigated whether expression or overexpression of hspa5 is sufficient for memory rescue now i had to control the expression of hspa5 because over too much expression of hspa5 might be deleterious to the neurons so i found that overexpression of hspa5 in the tau mice was sufficient to ameliorate long-term memory consolidation next slide so to summarize this work i found that in healthy neurons or healthy animals neuronal activation or spatial learning leads to increased histone acetylation through cbp cbp associates with Krebs and induces its downstream gene expression a lot of immediate early genes or activity induced genes are expressed after learning such as nr4a1 and nr4a2 nr4a1 and nr4a2 proteins then get recruited on their target gene promoters and regulates expression of genes such as HSPA5, PDIA6, and several other genes encoding ear chaperons. These ear chaperons then resides uh, in the ear and then form a multi-protein ear chaperon complex, which help fold newly synthesized polypeptides such as gluen2a. Correctly folding of this protein helps it to traffic onto dendritic surface or postsynaptic density compartments and facilitate long-term memory consolidation. But in Alzheimer's disease and related dementia neurons, we found that learning-induced expression of or learning-induced histone acetylation was impaired, mostly because of reduced CBP expression, which led to downregulation of NR4A1, NR4A2, and several other immediate early genes, but also downregulation of NR4A target genes like HSPA5, which led to reduced protein folding and ultimately long-term memory impairment. So this work identifies a novel machinery of protein folding, which was previously underappreciated. And uh, this also, this study also connects from the nuclei where chromatin changes, uh, like epigenetic changes on the chromatin lead to expression of genes. And then we went out of the nuclei to the ER chaperons uh, and then protein folding, and then how those proteins are trafficked onto, onto the dendritic surface. So lastly, I'd like to, I mean, I'd like to acknowledge 
Dr. Ted Avell, who is my mentor, and he provided me like tremendous support and like encouragement and gave me all the independence to explore, investigate uh, like the different aspects of my research. Utsa Mukherjee helped me with the cultured neuron experiments. I'd like to thank all my collaborators, uh, Jake Michelson and Ethan Ball. They, they helped us with the bioinformatic analysis for the RNA sequencing results. All the fantastic core facilities and my funding agencies. NIH, National Institute of Aging, funded my K99 uh, RC00 grant. And some, part, some of this work was also supported by the Nelly Ball Trust. And thank you very much for listening and I'll be happy to take questions. Thank you so much for presenting your amazing work. You went, this is such, I hope everyone appreciates how much work this is and how great you, the methods are that you used and you just didn't stop because <laughs> one method you needed to switch to another method, right? You just used all the methods that you needed to answer the question. Right. So yeah, it's amazing. And I'm glad you had this opportunity and this grant to to help us solve these uh, questions. So oh, absolutely, yeah. It's amazing. Um, so uh, I wanted to ask you, um, just um, I saw that um, NR4 um, seems to be, I found a paper that it seems to be also involved in addictive type of behavior, like cocaine-induced mm -hmm. behavior. So do you assume that this is a very general mechanism in, in excitatory neurons, also inhibitory neurons um, in all kinds of brain regions? Because um, your work was, um, was focused on specific brain regions, but do you think um, this mechanism it's probably a pretty general one that you could probably target for a different type of disorders, right? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and honestly, we uh, we don't know the answer. Uh, I mean, because mostly because I have investigated only in the hippocampus, and after only a particular task, uh, which are regulated or which are dependent on the hippocampus. Now, outside hippocampus, uh, NR4A expresses in, in dopaminergic neurons, and it is also involved in other of uh, other biological functions like stress and uh, DNA damage response. Uh, but the the Chipsy data that I showed, uh, where we found that NR4A1 is enriched on the promoters of HSPA5 and PDIA6, they were obtained from T cells. So I would believe that this would be a more general uh, mechanism by which, in addition to all the different other functions that NR4A might have, uh, this regulation of protein folding or genes encoding protein folding would be a more general uh, function of NR4A. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Do you think that one day, if it's a general mechanism, that one day we c So uh, do you think we could detect earlier on in life a vulnerability uh, towards having basically uh, different levels of NR4A1 um, and um, by that basically detect 
early on a vulnerability to addiction, Alzheimer's, and so on that we could address. Let's say, you know, in the future we can have RNA sequencing very cheap for five dollars. This will never happen, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I completely agree. And uh, that that's actually currently what I'm doing. And Jamie was asking me if, uh, like, I mean, if I, if I can come back later. And I'll be happy to come back later to talk about, like, the more recent work that I'm doing. Uh, this is something I'm chasing uh, currently, where I'm investigating the different population of cells uh, in different regions of the brain that shows induced expression of immediate early genes. And I'm focusing on the NR4A genes after learning. Uh, but it will also help us to understand the cooperativity of NR4A with other transcription factors and other proteins where they are co-expressed and co-regulated and maybe also associated with other functions. And uh, like with all the new techniques like of course, the single cell sequencing, multiplexing, uh, Marfish, spatial transcriptomics, we have like a lot of resources these days to chase this question, to, to address these questions in a very precise manner. But again, I, I mean, all my experiments I'm performing after spatial learning and uh, I'll be like happy to collaborate with someone who can like, uh, who has experience with uh, addiction and other, other behavioral aspects. Yeah, I would just imagine that maybe, you know, also PTSD, that it points towards maybe a population that has a lot of flexibility at some point in life through maybe through stress or something that happened, that the flexibility basically of learning new environmental, you know, the environment yeah, is yeah, safe yeah. now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yes, but, absolutely. Know, Absolutely. It. I mean, NR4 expression changes after a various different after various different uh, stimuli or uh, different conditions. Also, like epilepsy, uh, stroke. Uh, in autism, it has some connections in autism. Also, uh, not that we understand it very well, but it's worth looking into it. Yeah, maybe the Department of Defense would be interested to have a screening. <laughs> of PTSD, for example, or maybe um, depression and uh, because it kind of, yeah, I kind of can imagine that this could be a good indicator actually, but I'm pointing towards the future and taking the stage. <laughs> um, so please, everyone flash their mics. Yeah, Serena, go ahead. Wonderful talk and very fascinating and, and, and such a vivid view of the details of the actual um, process of the transcription cascade and uh, very interesting. I had two questions, an upstream and a downstream one. Yeah. In terms of the upstream, so uh, as far as the activation of CBP, um, are those, is that derived from um, just the activity itself, or are there additional factors? And I'm thinking of astrocytes in terms of um, at the synapse level. In some cases with long-term potentiation, there's additional factors that lead to upregulation of AMPA and, and NMDA and so forth. But um, are there, as far as the pathway of uh, CBP activation, um, what's it look like upstream from there? I mean, CBP binds to CREB, 
which is cyclic AMP response element, which is activated by cyclic AMP, and it is activated by MAP kinase pathway. So neuronal stimulation does induces expression of, uh, or sorry, activation of uh, this Krebs CBP through cyclic AMP dependent processes through MAP kinase dependent processes. Now, how CBP autoacetylation induces after learning is not clearly known, but we believe that binding of CBP with Krebs uh, or I mean, uh, like its CBP confirmation changes happens, which makes it like more feas uh, feasible for it to like acetylate its target genes. Uh, but yes, it is. It is. It's upstream regulators are cyclic AMP kinase pathways, and uh, it is induced by neuronal depolarization uh, and also neurotrophins like BDNF. Interesting. Um, and it was. Uh, this happens about an hour after the learning episode. Is in in conditions of um, where there's continual learning or so, or um, you know there isn't really a break. Does it? Uh, is there some type of? Um, so the time point state? after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the time point after after learning is uh, again it it this gene expression follows like a wave-like pattern but the initial activation is phosphorylation of Krebs. so Krebs phosphorylation occurs within 15 minutes after learning like 10-15 minutes after learning there is an there is a hyperphosphorylation or uh, of Krebs, and then cbp gets associated with Krebs. and then we start seeing gene expression changes or this induction of exp uh, or, or the beginning of the wave of transcriptional events within like 30 minutes after learning and then it mm -hmm. reaches up its peak between 30 minutes to one hour and then starts going down from 90 minutes and uh, within like three hours time point you see that the initial wave is down and then the second wave appears after six hours after learning which are basically the target of the uh, initial waves initial uh, like wave like ARC and several other immediately genes which are induced in the regulate expression of the uh, second wave uh, genes. So it's, it, does it follow then that for optimal learning, um, there is some timing in terms of presenting the learning, the material to be learned and allowing this process to happen before, you know, you're loading that up again with different things to learn? Uh, or does we, that not follow? You mean two different learning paradigms? Well, if does it does it make sense to um, for optimal learning to optimize the process? You know, pre presenting the experience to be learned, but mm -hmm. then allowing a downtime for this expression cascade to to uh, consolidate. Absolutely, absolutely. That, that, that's exactly what we do. We train the animals and then put it back in its home cage, and we make sure that the animal uh like doesn't have any distraction we we keep the room very quiet and uh like so that it 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 has like the best optimal environment or everything for like consolidation to happen because if there are there is another learn i mean somebody entering the room it's again a different kind of learning so it might interfere with the previous learning event and uh to have to enable these genes or consolidation process to happen like properly uh it's better that it can it doesn't learn a new thing or new experience after after the learning sessions is does that answer your question wow it that's does. so weird that, that is like a strict rigorous 
control of memory in a very organic way. It seems it, it just it, not not to not to sound too crazy, but it reminds me of uh, the the 60s experiments on humans where they tried to control for a lot of parameters. Although there were many flaws, it still makes me think of this very um, like very clean and um, I guess uh, like re reproducible um, in terms of the variability of the uh, organisms themselves. Uh, I'm not sure if you addressed this in the talk, but what was the uh, genetic variation, if that was something that you kept track of? Uh, by genetic variation, you mean like uh, SNPs, mutation on the genome? Yeah, yeah. I no, we, we, we mostly focused on the NR4A uh, transcription factors, which we found to be regulated by Krebs CVP pathway. And there we made some mutations in the NR4A transcription factor uh, or transcription activation domain. Uh, but otherwise, we didn't make uh, any changes on the genome. We were like most interested in understanding the transcriptional waves uh, and then what, what is the precise signature of gene expression after learning and how, what, what, that, what are the me mechanisms or regulatory mechanisms that control this precise uh, events after a learning experience so that memory consolidation occurs properly. Yeah, no, I'm just asking because there's this one paper that I find somewhat annoying, uh, irritating sometimes when I think of the complexity of uh, genetics. There's mm -hmm. a paper by Manolis Kellis that famously talks about how obesity can be accounted for by one mutation, one letter out of uh, billions, uh, mm -hmm. and that can account for uh, obesity in some individuals to a large extent uh, beyond even their control. And uh, uh, so I always think of the implications of how much variation there is or to what extent we're, we're keeping track of that variation with organisms. But that, but that was kind of the motivation of the question. Yeah, it could be possible because if the mutation is present in one of the active domain of a protein which plays important role in a certain biological function, that mutation might change its whole function because it might interfere with its ability to perform its function and that might block. I mean, I can I can think of like CRAVE. If you, if you activate CRAVE uh, by certain mutations, you can lead to, it, it might lead to memory impairment and synaptic plasticity impairment. This one mutation that I'm talking about in the tau model, the P301S or P301L mutation, now this this is one this is a single point mutation which is seen in uh, patients with frontotemporal dementia. Sorry, I forgot about this one. So here in this mutant uh, tau, it is it gets hyperphosphorylated, and that hyperphosphorylation of tau leads to neurofibrillary tangle formation. And our uh, these animals shows all the like most of the pathological signatures of Alzheimer's disease, including memory impairment. So it is possible if the protein is an important component and if the mutation can affect its function, for example, here in the tau mice, it could lead to deleterious uh, effect. I was going to uh, ask real quick. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw in your studies you were um, focused on memory consolidation. I was wondering if um, you looked at extinction at all. Um, the, the reason I ask is I, there was a paper I noticed, it came out a couple months ago, but I, I didn't pay much attention to it until uh, I heard your talk, um, that showed uh, work with, um, in, in the uh, infralimbric 
limb, limbic uh, prefrontal cortex where they mm-hmm. showed uh, long non-coding RNA regulating um, extinction memory um, and, 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 and specifically NR4A2. Um, so that, that might be an indication that this, that there's some work. This is from Tim, Tim Brady's lab. Yes. Yep. Yeah, like, yep. Right, right, right. Yeah. He, he, Tim, Tim works on, uh, like extinction and NR4A2. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, the thing is that in our mouse model, we don't see any memory consolidation. So we, we basically cannot do, uh, much of extinction work. Uh, we try to do some with other proteins involved in transcription activation, but with NR4A or CBP mutant mice, they are already they show memory impairment. So uh, we we couldn't investigate the extinction. Uh, I know that in addition to NR4A, there are like HTAC inhibitors, which are uh, sorry HTACs, histone deacetylases or lysine deacetylases. They are also essential for extinction uh, to happen normally. And yeah, Tim is doing like fantastic work with long non-coding RNAs and uh, like regulation of NR4A in extinction related behavior. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Such a fascinating work. And to me, it was very interesting in the case of the NR4A nuclear receptors, because I know that we have the, I mean, expression of them as in a T and B lymphocytes as a gatekeepers of the immune tolerances, and you just uh, you just mentioned about the Alzheimer patient, but as long as there is a relationship between the some of the patients who are struggling with the AIDS and HIV, and uh, there is a CCR5 related with this region, so that was very interesting to me, because it's still in a clinical level we can find some relationship between the immune compromised people. Mm-hmm. and those receptors so thank you so much for sharing your work with us yeah thank you thank you everyone i mean all the questions are like really interesting and uh, they're very helpful and um, hello doctor and um, um, can i just say that that was an absolutely incredible talk it's quite exciting what you're discovering thank you, here. <laughs> thank you. Um, and one of the questions I've got, um, please forgive me if it's a, a simple one, but um, when you were discussing um, here, like reverse um, long-term memory deficit and things like this, one of the things mm-hmm. that I started to wonder, um, that's incredible, okay, Re- reversing um, memories like this is incredible. Is, is this indicating that um, a great deal of things um, like memories are are actually stored you know still stored it's only the the bridge between you know the storage and retrieval that's the problem then as opposed to something that just was never remembered properly um if that makes sense that's a fantastic question that's that's a really good question uh so the answer to this question is uh we are not bringing back a memory which was lost okay so uh these are like memories that are formed after we did our manipulations like drug treatment or virus expression so that the memories can form properly in mutant mice model this nr4a model or in alzheimer's a new experience following a new experience 
memories cannot form because of several different reasons and one of the important reason is transcription deficits there is a there is impairment in transcription after learning which makes it uh, like unable to process those short-term or sensory information to make it more stabilized and form long-term memory and that that's that's one of the problems uh, associated in Alzheimer's uh, with memory consolidation here what we are trying to do is we are trying to enhance those machineries or activate those machineries so that after the learning event memories can form naturally but the animal if whatever it uh, or if we if a subject learned something before and then that memory went away or degraded uh, we haven't tested our strategy in 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 that model so uh, I mean that that's a great question but uh, so far what we are doing is all only the new memories that are formed we are trying to make or stabilize the new memories uh, in Alzheimer's disease and also in yeah. aging that's absolutely fascinating, and um, I'm I'm wondering you maybe haven't um, explored this yet, but you know how there's so much material out there. Some of it um, not very useful, but on things like how to how to memorize things better, how to learn faster, things like that. Um, have you looked at or found anything that would indicate um, like in the future you you might have a a refined process for humans to optimally learn and then maybe with a supplement maximize retrieval or because so, it sounds to me that this is going to be a a mixture of um like say like me reading a book right and then the proper behavior um, and maybe even diet to maximize um the the recording of the memory but mm -hmm. then some kind of supplement supplement to strengthen the um connection the retrieval process um, do you think that that's something that you'll be seeing in the future? Yeah, again, a really good question. So what I haven't talked today is about sleep. And one of the most important component of memory consolidation is sleep. Because that's actually what we believe is during sleep, our memories are more sta are stabilized. And uh, in TED's lab, where, where I currently work, they have seen that after the spatial learning protocol if you sleep deprive those animals they fail to acquire memory they 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 couldn't consolidate memories and in alzheimer's disease patients it has been reported like several uh, from several different groups that sleep is actually affected people with alzheimer's they have fragmented sleep disturbed sleep and if you can sleep for like eight hours you will have good memories you will have a strong memory so uh, sleep is i mean diet yes perhaps probably but most important is sleep because uh, sleep plays active role in memory consolidation that's fascinating and we're still coming uh, like we just discussed um multiple speakers that came before you have all <laughs> brought up sleep as being important um sleep 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 um uh, yep. how crucial it's actually in our development so it's incredible that you're offering another um piece of that jigsaw um, to that. So thank you very much for your time and thank you for letting us questions. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, hi, uh, Jody. Yeah, thanks uh, uh, for your wonderful uh, presentation. And this uh, research, uh, uh, I, I also, you know, said in Karina, this is uh, 
the all so many stages of uh, logical uh, links and you <laughs> I mean congratulations yourself for uh, persisting through uh, I learned a lot but uh, as a layperson I do have a few questions if you uh, allow me that the for the experiment the uh, mm -hmm. I just want to understand a little bit better for the retrieval uh, stage that uh, uh, you uh, uh, what are the uh, yellow circle that uh, entails in detail that uh, is it so i'm thinking so that your uh, learning is uh, 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 for spatial right memory then the uh, it must be a, a, a format of maze that uh, of different paths or something some some novel objects for the mice to play with or yeah i mean it, it's a very simple uh, like strategy so it we have an open field and there will be objects at specific spatial location and there is a small queue inside the uh, open field so the colored circles were objects so there are like three different objects they are made of glass so that there is no smell or anything and the animals will explore the objects to encode the information of the spatial location now what we do is we move one of the during retrieval we move one of the objects to a novel spatial location and if it learned the location of those objects it will i mean rodents are like they explore anything they find novel in their environment so if they i understand or if they remember the location of those objects they will recognize that one of the object has been moved to a novel spatial location so that would be like a novelty to them so it will explore the moved object more same thing you can do with like novel object recognition where you replace one of the objects with a new object and check whether uh, it explores the new object. The spatial object recognition is more dependent on hippocampus, whereas the novel object recognition is uh, not fully dependent on hippocampus. That's why we used uh, the spatial object recognition task. It's, I mean, it, it's it's a very simple behavior, uh, but Maury's water maze is more of a maze where it's spatial navigation memory where there will be a platform, a hidden platform, and animal have to like explore uh, using spatial cues in the room. It it has to find the hidden platform. So it takes more time to train the animals, like three to five days of training. Here it's just one day of training, and like less stress because we were careful. We we were tried to like control for any any sort of stress uh, to these animals. I just want to say fuck yeah for controlling for stress for the animals because that is awesome. I, I love to hear that because it's difficult. I think doing this work, I think the moral implications oftentimes are overlooked by this necessary work. And so I, I really appreciate hearing that. And apologies for the language, but just uh, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, thanks. So, so the uh, uh, just uh, again, uh, Freddie. So. The spatial information encoding is not with the object itself, but the trajectory or the path of the maze, uh, the mouse. Uh, is it, or is it because of the didn't encode? Uh, uh, for example, in the case of uh, memory loss, that means the mice, uh, the mouse, uh, uh, forget the. Uh, uh, I mean, they found the same object novel again. It's. It's. I. I just wanted to understand what the, is being encoded. So it's a spatial memory. Suppose we go to a novel, uh, I mean, a new place, okay? We are driving, I mean, forget about like GPRS uh, in olden days, okay? We are driving across a street and we 
we like see a big tree on our right we take right turn from there and the destination is on the left side so we encode those spatial informations in our hippocampus the next time when we go there when we take when we see that that tree on the right side it will activate those neurons okay and it will activate and then we we know okay from here we took the right side right turn and then our destination was on the left side so that's the hippocampus encoded encoding memory so uh, that's the retrieval which we are doing we try to recapitulate the same thing in animal model with making it a more simple uh, simplified uh, like task so it's all about like location hippocampus constructs the location as as a map in in its system and wherever whenever the animal or uh, an individual goes through passes through the queue there, there are activation of neurons of course it starts with enterorenal cortex where it's filled with grid cells and then signals to hippocampus through a like perforant pathway and there are like trajections but the hippocampus actually codes for encode those inform the spatial information and uh, th that's the information or that's the memory which we try to uh, like assist great thank you that's very clear thank you so on the slides uh, number nine that uh, you show the uh, nuclear NR and uh, uh, receptors the among the candidates so yeah. did you have uh, actually 14 you, you mentioned that 14 of them uh, 13 of them are actually uh, show response in the first two hours of training yeah. then the I wonder uh, the rationale behind you know for the one hour selection of the NR for a for one hour and uh, the timing uh, is specific uh, I mean the, the the right side experiment was done later so this is this this work we try to like investigate all the nuclear receptor genes that are induced after learning and we found these NR4A genes to be induced within like two hours after training, uh, but the expression goes up within like 30 minutes and the, at, at one hour we see highest expression. Now why I am interested in NR4A is because of my previous work with CBP where we like where, where, where I like consistently found that these NR4A proteins are regulated by CBP. NR4A promoter has CRE elements which are like uh, regions where Krebs protein binds so they are direct targets of Krebs CBP pathway and that NR4A genes are induced after various stimuli and several groups have showed that targeting NR4A uh, if alters behavior so those are the reasons why I wanted to I, I pursued with NR4A or I investigated NR4A not other uh, nuclear receptors I mean they are also equally important or it's an interesting I'm sure there will be uh, like the other 13 genes which are induced after learning. Uh, some have actually been investigated for their role in memory and some have been investigated in Alzheimer's, especially with uh, amyloid beta models. Uh, but and in, in my town I also I do find some of these nuclear receptors to be down-regulated. But the reason for NR4A is uh, it is a potential target for memory enhancement. It is regulated by Krebs CBP pathway, so it is epigenetically regulated. And as it is epigenetically regulated and it is a target for memory, there are a lot of different scope for therapeutic approaches or therapeutic interventions. We can use epigenetic drugs, we can use CRISPR mediated gene therapy, 
there are like a lot of different options which we can investigate and focusing on this particular subfamily will help us to understand like in a broad way in a broad platform how activity induced gene expressions are regulated during memory consolidation and how it can go awry during like different uh, diseases associated with memory impairment so that we can come up with a with a with a mechanistic understanding of uh, what goes wrong and how how those how those uh, components participates in memory consolidation or important biological functions I understand yeah thank you I had a really one last quick question um, I was thinking about this because of what you said about the sleep doctor um, and this might be a little bit out of scope but um, I wouldn't <laughs> allow myself to not ask you mentioned before how important sleep uh, is to this process right and you mentioned mm -hmm. like eight hours sleep I wondered um, do you think it when in learning something um, any benefits could go up from learning a thing and then having something like a power nap right after it or what are we talking about it needs to be like a, a deep long-term nightly sleep or something like that does that make sense yeah i mean it's more complicated than we think okay so i uh, am not also it's fully understood like in sleep there are like two different uh like phases in sleep which like constantly shuttles or shuffles REM sleep and non-REM sleep and there are like this uh i think in REM sleep uh so i mean uh, they have their different functions in sleep after a training if you like sleep or take a power nap that might help and that might be a good idea but i cannot support it uh it could what is important is uh focus like after 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 you learn something even if you don't sleep if you try something else your memory will be diluted because you are you are learning a different task so you are not giving sufficient time for the consolidation of memory uh from the previous task it can be it could be true for like a lot of different behavior that we do we perform every day uh I mean, I talked about sleep in a more uh, broad way. Uh, I don't know whether these like transcriptional events after learning request sleep. It probably doesn't, but it probably sleep acts like in a more global fun way to like function as a stabilization for neurons uh, to control the damages. Uh, there is a study from Liwei Sai uh, where she found that learning or uh, new neuronal activity leads to DNA damage okay and uh, DNA damage opens up the chromatin and facilitates ex expression of uh, immediate early genes and then they are repaired back so in aging or uh, there is a there is an accumulation which is a age associated memory decline there there are uh, more accumulation of damaged uh, genomic regions and what a lot of people believe is that or what, what, what is true is that during sleep our brain goes to a more repair function so our brain is more active while we are sleeping because it functions it it participates in repair machineries so it doesn't directly correlate with memory but as neuronal function uh, it is more important because it helps the neurons to be like more polished, to be more active, 
or uh, more uh, in a better state to be activated further for or ready for new memories to form. I mean, if you go into like where memories are stored, uh, the discussion will never end because if you just imagine about like one neuron or like where we, we are learning something, okay? So genes are induced we are learning something else in one day how many different things we learn and where are all those memories stored we have no clue so we are just we just started to understanding understand this uh, machineries and mechanisms of how memories are stored and where they are stored and uh, like sleep probably functions as a damage control uh, device and also stabilizes neurons for like uh, like activation and uh, function in next day. Did that answer anything, or I just talked uh, busy? Oh, uh, oh no, no, uh, th that was incredibly interesting and very exciting. Um, um, I mean, I have a problem so, of so talking good. like into like more hypothesis based things and philosophical stuff, so I can get derailed like very very soon, very fast, and <laughs> no, talk no, about a lot of philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love it, and I think we all all love it here as well. Thank you. No, that's that's a great answer. Thank you so much. Thank you. I wanted to ask one one quick question. If that's all right. Mm -hmm. Sure, please. Uh, I I know Serena said uh, asked something earlier about what is um, down and upstream here. So hopefully, I'm not uh, repeating any of her questions. But uh, I I know the the. CREB activity can be modulated by many different pathways, um, you know, G protein uh, pathways and, and whatnot. I'm curious if there's any, you know, upstream upstream of all this, um, uh, this pathway that you're exploring here, is there any, um, is it known how coupled it is with electrical signaling? Like, if, is this something that is, um, directly driven by local potential or um is it more of a uh like a, a downstream chemical pathway any that again good question uh any form of new any, any stimulation that would induce neuronal activity uh it can be long-term potentiation it can be depolarization it could be like electric uh stimulation any any component or any stimuli that would lead to uh, neuronal activation in terms of calcium in influx or BDNF or cyclic AMP uh, activation would lead to activation of CREB. So CREB is like a signature or mark for neuronal activity. So yes, long-term potentiation or neural depolarization does induces uh, CREB activity, a CREB phosphorylation or even electrical stimulation should also induce. Awesome. And the last thought I had was, uh, with this particular pathway, is there anything known about um, subcellularly what's happening? Uh, for example, is, is this been shown in all synapses, um, like very distal synapses in primal neurons versus maybe uh, somatic or, or synapses that are nearby. Um, I'm asking because I, I know there's a lot of uh, machinery all the way out in, in distal dendrites for transcription. So I'm wondering if this is something that's happening everywhere in the cell or if it's, um, you know, concentrated near the soma. You mean the, which, which machinery? 
activation of Krebs happens in the nucleus, whereas the gluon to a protein uh, distribution happens in the synapses. So for all the transcriptomic experiments, I focused on the nucleus and their, their activation of Krebs, CBP happens. Uh, like local translation happens, for example, uh, ARC, ARC, ARC mRNA is translated on the dendrites and there it participates in synaptic plasticity. But I haven't focused on uh, the synapses much except the like protein folding uh, machineries uh, and that too I just focused on the postsynaptic density compartment in cultured neurons where I just simply investigated gluon to a NMDA receptor uh, surface distribution. Otherwise, I haven't looked much. The only closest uh, to uh, the synapses would be the LTP experiments that we did with the phenyl butyrate or chemical chaperone, where we stimulated the Schaefer collateral pathway and then uh, investigated whether the chemical chaperone rescues long term LTP. But that's really not what uh, you were asking, right? Yeah, so I guess it's not really known whether the, the Krebs can happen uh, in the dendrites. So the assumption is that it's being trafficked from the, the soma. Right, yeah. yeah. A crab, like crab in the dendrites? I, I don't, I think. Krebs is a nuclear protein, nucleus. right? Yeah, it's yeah. in the nucleus. Excellent, cool. Just to follow on to that, um, I was also interested in the in the downstream. So the consequences are, are upregulation of glutamate receptor, but is there any, um, and it's a similar question to what Wisdom was getting at, but um, it, it, is there any spatial specificity to where those receptors end up, or is it sort of a nonspecific, or are they, are they more directly trafficked to the synapses of uh, i mean is there a, a a retrograde loop there that the synapses that cause the same stimulation are going to get more receptors uh great question serena uh we don't know whether uh the glutamate receptor expression is regulated by uh, this pathway uh, what we know is the protein or the folding of uh nmd receptor only gluon to where that's what I have investigated. I haven't looked into the other targets of the CR chaperone pathway or proteins. Uh, so we know that the pro the gluon to or newly synthesized gluon to protein folding is facilitated by uh, this NR4A downstream targets. And uh, I mean, again, only in cultured neurons uh, which were depolarized with KCL. Uh, we found that there is a like increased postsynaptic density compartment co-localization of gluentua. Uh, it seemed to be like a broad, uh, non-specific activation, but we haven't investigated it further. There is like a couple of experiments that we did, and these are like more recent uh, findings. So there is definitely a scope to investigate it further. We are currently doing some stead uh, microscopy to look into like specific synapses and uh, how how specific this gluon to a uh, export or trafficking is, and 
there is no single cell protein or I mean I, I, I haven't seen any single cell protein uh, like experiments that we could do I mean if we can do some of some of those experiments at single cell level at a from a given brain slice or something it would be interesting uh, we just started to like investigate uh, those questions so I mean sorry I don't have much answer no. No. well thank you yeah it may, may just not be known but um, it's kind of curious about how much you know whether the the um, the source of the amplification and you know and Wiz mentioned is it by the sum or out on the distal dendrites but how much mm -hmm. how much uh, you know credit assignment is happening there specifically and is it spatially localized right and most of those answers are not known and there might be there must be very strong uh, like regulation and precise regulation for like different subregions well maybe there would be an option to do um to photon um microscopy with electrophysiology and do line scans uh, and then have specific blocking, maybe with uh, with uncaging combined with uncaging, and then while you uncage, to have specific antagonists and agonists, and then perform line scans in the distal versus uh, more proximal um, uh, dendrites. Uh, and see if you can detect like differences in signaling maybe very yeah maybe like very um sensitive calcium dyes that um that you could fill the cell with and then do some line scans but i'm not sure if they are you would probably need to design a caged drug for those specific receptors i'm not sure if there are any out there yeah that that's a great suggestion and uh we did thought about uh, two photon imaging but uh for caging what 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 approach you are talking about so uh, uncaging means you have you have the drug caged uh so you in our, in the lab when i was a phd student and george augustine's lab the at duke university we had the postdoc that did that with compounds herself um she did the cage version of drugs and then you elicit a very precise laser uh it's usually strong uv laser right uh, right right okay just mm -hmm. release the drug on that spine so we have gaba uncaged and you know glutamate uncaging but then you don't necessarily know if it's that specific receptor right if you you could do glutamate uncaging just on that spine and see differences but maybe you could have yeah i would need to think a little bit about it or you just um ask for a chemist to make your um caged version of a we actually have developed a like caged version of this pdis6 uh because that's another target we are chasing and uh using uv but i mean the 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 goal is slightly different there like with uv radiation there will be it will be caged so we would we could capture all the proteins with which it interacts uh it would be it, oh. it's, a, it's it's an interesting idea to investigate the glutamatergic neurons or uh the synapses and then 
distill and all those creations i mean this is this is great and this is great feedback yeah because it's just it, very it hard to do um patch clamp on distal uh dendrites it's very very hard and uh so usually what you prefer to do then is line scans but then you have to somehow be also precise in the release of you know some activator or inhibitor of the target you want to and you there are not too many like specific uh, molecules for for this uh, proteins. There are, there can always be off-target effect. That's what I'm always con uh, like worried about. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this this is great. And I mean, I I would have to collaborate with an electrophysiologist to. Uh, to do some patch patch clamp or uh, two photon imaging. Yeah, I wish I I don't have. Um, I'm not in that lab anymore where I did that. I used to do patch clamp and to photon for a long time. But <laughs> I, I don't have it anymore. But yeah, so, Kathleen, yeah. I, I I wanted to anymore. I wanted to mention something. Uh, so I'm in the job market and I'm in like currently negotiating. Uh, or I just finished my first final round of interviews for the assistant professor position and I'm expecting an offer uh, soon. So, uh, I mean, if you know anyone who is interested to, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying everyone here, uh, if anyone is interested to like investigate these things that I'm, I'm, I'm working on, memory mechanisms, Alzheimer's, transcription, epigenetics, uh, I'm, I will probably need people uh, I'll, I'll be hiring. So, uh, I mean, this is not official, but uh, just wanted to mention. Uh, unofficial uh, official announcements, love it. I'm sorry? Uh, it's unofficially official, uh, but it's just, it, uh, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> I'll, I'll get to know next month. Uh, the committee hasn't decided yet. They haven't met yet. I just, I, I have a good feeling. I, it went well. I have a good feeling about it. And I'm expecting a positive answer soon. Uh, but I like to prepare like before, like, I mean, as soon as possible so that I'll, I'll, I'm well prepared when I start my own lab. Yeah. And the most important factor is uh, hiring good people uh, who are interested and motivated and uh yeah that's why first of all congratulations they wouldn't take you so i i'm very upset i mean um thank you and um yeah if you have a job post or some job description i can add it to my bio i can you know we can we can add it and then i also have i'm an alumni of a for international uh PhD program um, mm -hmm. where we share a job post so I can send an email out to share and those are very you know very good um, precise selected students from Europe so yeah that would be great, that be great yes too. yeah send Thank me you. and then I'll be happy to share it I cannot promise anything of course yeah I'll be happy to share no thank you thank you very much I will I will let you know if you uh if you get more serious about the uh the synaptic uh, dendritic stuff let me know um we can we can talk offline or something uh i, I study calcium signaling and, and dendrites and i'm always thinking about what's what's downstream 
of uh, my measurements. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'll return your name. Thank you. I mean, we do have all those uh, equipments here. We have uh, at INI, we have two photon, we have patch clamp, uh, like everything, a lot of central facilities. So, yeah. That all sounds incredibly exciting and hopefully um, anybody who will be able to listen to this replays might be themselves someone or know someone who would want to be part of this. I know if I had the kind of expertise, I would be absolutely racing towards you to do that. It just sounds so okay. exciting work. <laughs> That's so nice. Thank you, Jimmy. Yeah, and please come. Yeah, we can also chat uh, offline when you want to come back to present exciting updates. And then we yeah, of course. Again. Yes, I'll, I'll I'll let you know. Uh, I'm th there's something I'm cooking now. I mean, uh, very interesting ideas. But uh, yeah, once my paper is submitted, I'll I'll probably uh, send you an email or uh, contact you here uh, to like set up another time, another date for a presentation. And some interesting things that I'm uh, working on, which I'm sure you all will be interested in. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm really looking forward to it, and um, I love to hear that, you know, memory epigenetic mechanisms and all this work is making such advancements because, uh, yeah, I was very interested when I was still in the lab with two photon and epigenetic mechanisms and memory and maybe using different very specific um, targeted cancer drugs that target okay. all these epigenetic mechanisms and try them out if they would actually help and different um, disorders. So yeah, I find it Yeah, that's how it started, right? The cancer <laughs> treatment, HDAC inhibitors, epigenetics, and then slowly it's it, uh, it shifted to a neurodegeneration and uh, memory mechanisms. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I was interested in that for a while. So yeah, it's very excited, exciting to hear. Uh, and um, yeah, I didn't get the grant on that. <laughs> I, I'm really glad that that worked out, and uh, it's really exciting to hear these, these new breakthroughs in neuroscience that will mm -hmm. most likely help people in the future. So it's it's really wonderful. So thank you for coming and sharing your work and I wish you all the best for your new lab and I wish you the best of students and <laughs> postdocs and all the grants and the least bureaucracy to start and things. all the funding all the funding <laughs> all the funding <laughs> the least bureaucracy that's the most important thing yep yes and your mice breathe well <laughs> yeah oh my god yes <laughs> mice breathe well <laughs> You know the pain. To, yeah, that you don't have to rebuy them. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, really, I had a great time here. Uh, it's 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 a really good. It's a great group, and all the questions and discussions. It it's really nice, and uh, I took notes and very helpful. And I love to come back here again for another talk but i'll also participate in uh, in the other talks in the upcoming weeks and be a part of uh, <clears throat> this science society so thank you very much for having me here today thank you you're already yeah. the the 
best moderator because you led me to announcing the next room. If that's okay. <laughs> that was the perfect, the perfect uh, transition. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thank you everyone for coming and asking great questions and contributing to this discussion today. Um, we really appreciate that. And we will have actually um, Dr. Garin um, uh, coming tomorrow and talking about the human brain evolution of abstract thought. And I know Serena will ask something about the <laughs> Oh, yes, more astrocyte questions, certainly. <laughs> and then we'll have on Wednesday Dr. Motri uh, talking about complex oscillatory waves emerged um, in brain organoids. And uh, it's a lot of neuroscience this week. <laughs> it just um, came that way. And uh, Dr. Um, MD, PhD, um, Zuniga, uh, talking about Alzheimer tautopathies dependent on RNA surveillance. So it's really close. Uh, well, you know, fairly related to what we heard today from you. And then Dr. Henry, uh, he will talk about the thermovoltaic um, that he developed that has a efficiency of 40%, which is quite high. Um, so yeah, uh, thank you so much, everyone. A special thanks to you. Uh, and uh, come back. <laughs> of course, I will. Thank you. Okay, bye everyone. Bye bye. I'll go thank you so much, you. Doctor. Be well. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, thank doctor. you. Thank you. Bye, bye everyone. Three, two, one, bye. <laughs>